listening to Save Me an Isle Seat, the show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. I'm Katie, and I'm joined by my fellow musical enthusiasts, Amber and Kylie. Hey. Hello. Also joining us is our musical newbie, Matt. Hello. <laughs> no. No? No. <laughs> no? Okay. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. We'll allow it. So this week we are going over the musical Rent, which is known by lots of people. And is one of Amber's favorites. Yes? I, I would say so. So Rent was one of the first musicals I really got into uh, for my my musical theater knowledge. So this has been a long time love of mine. All right. Well, then, how about we just go ahead and jump into it? All righty. So Rent, uh, like Katie said, very well known. Hopefully you know at least something about this musical. At least if it's just like one song, because this is a classic so, Rent is a rock musical. The music, lyrics, and book were written by Jonathan Larson, and the show is loosely based on Giacomo Puccini's 1896 opera Les Bohèmes, which is about a group of poor young artists dealing with tuberculosis in Paris in the 1800s. Oh. You know, a lot of fun, right? Fun times. And so there's actually a lot of character parallels between that show and this show, as well as some of the... Mel- some of the melodies in this show actually directly reflect from songs in Labo M. Neat. Yes, exactly. So Rent is about a group of young artists living in New York and dealing with poverty, relationships, drugs, and HIV and AIDS. Oh, New York. fun. New York. <laughs> in New York. <laughs> so Larson's dream was to write a rock opera to bring musical theater to the MTV generation. Okay. Sure. And he actually wrote, like, hundreds of songs for this idea of this musical starting in 1989, and the show underwent drastic changes all the way up until its opening. Hmm. Rent is also somewhat autobiographical for Larson. He himself lived as a starting artist in New York for several years. He went through a breakup, just like Mark's, which I'm not going to spoil, but we'll get there. And he actually based some of the characters off of his friends, which, as a writer, I understand. Right. <laughs> And several locations and events are accurate as well, such as the Life Cafe and the Riot in East Village. Hmm. Also, Larson attended several meetings of Friends Indeed, which is a life support group, and he took inspiration from those meetings for life support meetings in the musical, as well as he named several characters in the musical after friends of his who had died uh, of HIV and AIDS. Oh. And also, during the Broadway production, uh, the names of the characters in that life support scene actually change nightly to reflect friends of the cast members that are living with or died from HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's a really nice personal spin on it. So, Rent is a musical pretty similar to Hamilton that we covered, uh, and Lynn actually referenced Rent as one of his muses, but it's pretty much sung all the way through, so you can get a really clear picture just from listening to the soundtrack. So, as far as productions go... In the U.S., it started at the New York Theater Workshop in 1993. It sold out all performances. A workshop production started in 94, and a group of producers went to see it, and before even the second act, said they would fund the show. It's gotta feel real good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it went off-Broadway for its official 1996 opening, uh, where Larson died of an aortic dissection the night before the premiere. Friends yeah. and family gathered at the workshop, and the first preview of Rent became a sing-through of the musical in his memory. Oh, That's very upsetting. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. Like he worked like, so hard on it for however long. Mm-hmm. Yep. It did move to Broadway on April 29th, 1996, 
and SRUS National Tours and Angel Tour from November 96 to September 1999, and Benny Tour, which started in July 1997. U.S. tours ran each season from 05 to 08. In 2009, another U.S. National Tour started and ran until February 2010. A three-night production at the Hollywood Bowl in 2010, directed by Neil Patrick Harris. Oh! Yeah. (laughs) He does love his theater, so. That man? No. No. (laughs) So the show had an off-Broadway revival from 2011 to 2012, where the show was majorly changed, and no one really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone hated that. Don't change what ain't broke. Yeah. A 20th anniversary non-equity tour ran from September 2016 until 2020. It's a really long tour. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Then it had some UK productions at the West End from April 1998 to October 1999. A few UK revivals occurred between 2001 and 2006. In 2007 to 2008, West End ran a rent-remixed, heavily revised production set in the present day, but the reviews gave it a 1 out of 5 stars. Ouch. Again, Yeet. stop trying to change something <laughs> that, ain't that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a 20th anniversary tour that started in London in 2016. In 2018, an immersive production featured at the Frogmore Paper Mill and ran for a, and it ran for a month. In 2020, the musical was set to be revived, but was delayed because of COVID. Dun, dun, dun. I guess I expect that for a lot of, like... <laughs> Revivals. Like, really big shows that we cover for the near future. Because there's a lot of them that were like, oh, planned on doing something in 2020. Oops. (laughs) As for other productions, a school edition was created for high schools to perform, which removed one very dirty song, a bunch of coarse language, and some PDA. But that's what high school is. Yeah. Also, there was a Canadian tour called the Collins Tour. In 2017, there was a tour through Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. It has also been performed in Denmark, Estonia, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Belgium, the Netherlands, Ireland, France, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, Greece, Mexico, Panama, Bolivia, Brazil, Argentina, Russia, China, Hong Kong, South Korea, (laughs) Taiwan, Japan, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, South Africa, Guam, New Zealand, Israel, Puerto Rico, Peru, Trinidad and Tobago, Dominican Republic, Cuba, the Czech Republic, and Guatemala. (coughs) It's been everywhere. (laughs) It's everywhere. (laughs) And it has been performed in 25 languages. What a surprise. The musical gained critical acclaim, if you couldn't guess by where it's been. It won several awards, including the Pulitzer Prize for Drama and the Tony Award for Best Musical. One of the longest-running shows on Broadway, which was 12 years, which ran 5,123 performances. And it grossed over $280 million. Woo! Yeah. That's a lot of cash. Yes. For a show about poverty. (laughs) Yeah. It got a lot of positive reviews, not just because of the acting and music, but also the accurate representation of HIV-slash-AIDS characters. However, the show is criticized for its stereotypical negative portrayal of lesbians and its glamorization of the East Village at that time. So Rent has a following of fans that refer to themselves as Rent Heads. And these are people who would camp outside the theater for the chance to get discounted front row seats. And so this show actually pioneered the ticket lottery that we've talked about before. Mm. I was wondering how that all started up. Yep. Rent Heads. (laughs) Crazy. 
And so just about every TV show out there, from Simpsons to Supernatural, has referenced Rent. Pretty cool. The original Broadway cast, which is the uh, soundtrack that I'm working off of today, uh, although there are a few of them. Uh, So the original Broadway cast includes Anthony Rapp, Adam Pascal, Jesse L. Martin, Idina Menzel, Tay Diggs, and so many more, of course. And the last Broadway performance was actually filmed live and produced for DVD. Uh, so that version is also out there. This filmed version features Eden Espinoza, who actually also played Alphaba, that's what she's known for, and Renee Elise Goldsberry as Mimi, who played Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton. Ooh! Ta-da! Ta-da! I thought she looked familiar. It's Yeah, it's very weird to see her in the role of Mimi versus the role of Angelica, but she's yeah. amazing, so that's cool. There also exists a movie version adapted in 2005 and directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, several plot elements were changed slightly, and some songs are either cut or like reduced to dialogue, and so it, it's okay, it gets average reviews. And that stars most of the original Broadway cast, but also includes Tracy Toms and Rosario Dawson. And actually, if you're familiar with The Flash TV show, which I watch, Collins is played by the dad, Joe West. Ooh. So, a little bit of connections made there. So, the timeline in the movie is actually more stretched out between Christmas and New Year's, whereas a good chunk of this musical, especially, like, the entirety of Act 1, pretty much takes place, like, on Christmas Eve. Oh. The whole thing. Yep. It's a lot happening all at once. a lot. <laughs> also produced was Rent Live in 2017, which starred uh, Jordan Fisher, who I do love, Vanessa Hudgens from High School Musical, Valentina, who is a drag queen, Mario, people like that. Uh, I didn't actually see it myself, but I didn't hear great things. So, you know. Mm. If you've seen it, let us know, I guess. It gave me need to watch it, and I just haven't been able to. So in my opinions, because I've, I love this show, and I've seen most of the different versions and listened to all of it for years, uh, so Will Chase, the Roger from the live-filmed version, is my favorite Roger, but Anthony Rapp, the Mark from the original Broadway cast, is my favorite Mark. A little bit of both there, and then obviously I love Idina Menzel and Tracy Toms, yeah, who play Joanne and Maureen in the movie version. So There are two documentaries, No Day But Today, The Story of Rent, which is about the musical as well as its adaption to movie, and Revolution Rent, produced by director Andy Sr. Jr., about producing the musical in Cuba. It was the first Broadway musical to premiere there. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. We are using the original Broadway cast soundtrack. That was from 1996 for this podcast, which is, of course, on our Spotify, and I will link it on our show notes there. It is slightly different, and there are also many foreign cast recordings of international productions. That cast recording is as old as me. Yay! Wow, you bab. I mean... At least two decades, but... Yeah. <laughs> Okay, how about we go ahead and hop into Act 1? Alrighty, so Act 1. So I I personally love the way this musical starts off. It immediately sets the scene. One thing that can be hard about listening to musicals is that it's... When you're listening to it, you don't get the visuals of the set and the characters, right? So it's kind of hard to place yourself in the scene. But this musical is really good with that. It starts off with December 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you, like, immediately, you know, when you are, what's going on. In the actual show, there's more of a monologue here where Mark describes that it's Christmas Eve and that the guys live in an industrial loft and they have no heat, Uh, but this isn't in the musical recording. But immediately we have that sense of when and where. 
which I am a fan of. Yeah. So Mark narrates the song, which is tune-up number one, and he introduces Roger, who says it and says that he's going through withdrawal. And it's not expressed here, but it is later on, so it's heroin. Heroin. <laughs> Uh, because Mark is a filmmaker, most of his songs are pretty narrative. He tends to pretty much just narrate the entire musical, honestly. And so he tends to speak out loud more so and talk to the audience directly, kind of keeping them in the loop. So pretty interesting characterization there. And uh, so these two are struggling to stay warm and produce their art, which is fair. And then several times throughout the show, the music is interrupted by a phone ringing. And it's always Roger who gets interrupted, which sort of represents his career as a musician. So each time he, like, almost gets there, he gets derailed. Oh. Aww. So we'll see a lot more of that as we go on. And so the pair decides not to answer the phone, which, me. Yep. <laughs> and they let it go to voicemail. And so this is voicemail number one. And an actor actually places the telephone on a chair on stage. And then a character steps into the spotlight to, you know. Uh, sing the voicemail as it is and so this time it's mark's mom and she's calling to wish him a merry christmas and says she misses him and she also kind of expresses you know she's like sorry that his girlfriend maureen dumped him oh no how sad uh and dumped him for another woman oh yeah i live with that fear every day (laughs) (laughs) it's always amber except the other one is just amber i know who it is (laughs) it's not some strange girl it's just amber (laughs) (laughs) So Mark and Roger continue where they left off, Mark narrating, Roger writing one great song, and then they get interrupted by the phone again. This time it is Collins, their friend, who is on his way over. Mark tosses a key to Collins so he can let himself in. Suddenly, Collins is surrounded by muggers, and the phone call cuts out. The phone rings again. They pick it up, expecting Collins. Instead, it's Benny. Benny used to be their friend, and he bought the building they, Mark, Roger, Benny, Collins, and Marine, were squatting in. Fun fact, in New York City, there are squatters' rights. If someone lives somewhere for over 30 days, they can continue living there until the owner goes through the legal process of eviction. That's wild. (laughs) Let's play the waiting game. Yeah. He said they could live there rent-free, but now, a year later, he is demanding all that rent. Clearly, this song is setting Benny up as the closest thing this musical has to a clear antagonist. Mark's breakup gets brought up again. Maureen dumped him as her production manager and as a boyfriend and is now dating a woman named Joanne. Benny reiterates that he will evict them and then hangs up. Before they can do anything else, the power goes out. Let's tune up number two. Next up is the titular song of the show, Rent. The two lament about their situations. Mark about how hard it is to make a documentary about his life when his life barely feels real as is. And Roger about how hard it is to write a song now that he seems to have no muse, no inspiration. Also, both are hungry and cold because of, you know, poverty. (laughs) That's no good. (laughs) No good. So they sing How We Gonna Pay Last Year's Rent, which I'm not sure how much that would be, but I know I certainly don't have thousands of dollars sitting around to do something like that. Yeah. The pair starts up a trash fire with old posters slash screenplays of theirs. Sad. Yeah. That, that, the name of the movie. <laughs> the show. The show. <laughs> well, they said it. Uh, well, they said it. Uh, so we skip over to Joanne, who's on the phone talking to Maureen, and she's actually flipping back and forth between her two roles here as girlfriend and production manager. And so there's a problem with the equipment, and Maureen is going to call Mark to fix it, but Joanne doesn't like that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you call your ex to fix your problem? It's fine. And then we skip over to Collins, who, of course, has just been mugged, his coat stolen, except for one sleeve. <laughs> and he, like, is feeling sick and injured. 
We skip over to Benny, who's talking to his wife, Allison. Uh, what we don't totally get from the dialogue here in the recording is that Benny used to be a starving artist with the rest of them, but then he married Allison, is a rich white lady, through her father, who's an investor. And so now Benny is on the up and up with a rich father-in-law. Uh, and so it's actually the father-in-law who found out about the pro- the protest that Maureen is planning and is making Benny collect the rent from the buildings now. Oh. Another thing the show is really good at doing is that thing where there's a bunch of people on stage doing it, like different things all at the same time, and it all comes across in song. I love that. Called an all skate, I believe. And so we go back to Mark and Roger, who are poking fun at each other's work and about how it's all going up in flames now. We have Maureen, who's calling Mark, asking him to help with the equipment. For some reason, he agrees. Kind of acts like a little puppy following along behind his mom. It's fine. <laughs> He's not the most uh, stand-up character. He's a little backbone. <laughs> uh, we also get a few lines about betrayal here, which is a main theme in the show. So there's betrayal by strangers, which is like the mugging and the harshness of living in New York City. Uh, betrayal of Benny, their friend and landlord. Betrayal between lovers. So there's a lot of breakups and cheating in this musical. Uh, and there's the betrayal of their own bodies. So we have several characters living with HIV and AIDS. And then the song ends with the proclamation that they will not pay rent. Last year's, this year's, or next year's. They won't yeah, do it. to the man. Yeah. Fun fact, so the word rent, which, you know, monetary things you have to pay to live somewhere, right? But it also means torn apart. And so Larson didn't originally like the name rent until he learned of that fact, that other definition. And so in this context, the musical is not just about that monetary rent, but it's also about how uh, these these characters have been torn apart and how much they're struggling and all that sort of stuff. Interesting. Wow. Hmm. Dual meaning. Oh my god. I always yeah. love those little little details and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Collins is in the street and is approached by Angel Dumont Chouinard, a drag queen who drums in the street for money. She offers to band-aid him up and then says that she has to get to a life support meeting because she has AIDS. Collins admits that he does too. Angel says she has money and convinces Collins to let her take him to get a new coat, have something to eat, etc. And the song is, you okay, honey? A note here, Angel... Some say drag queen, some say trans woman, some say gender fluid. Uh, both he and she pronouns are used throughout the show, so it seems that both are valid for this character. The answer to the question, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> both. Both is good. <laughs> both. Both. Mm, yeah. Mark tries to convince Roger to come out to dinner with them after Maureen's show, but he declines. Mark tells him to take his AZT. He then narrates that Roger's girlfriend, April, left him a note that's that they had AIDS and then committed suicide. This is tune-up number three. Can any is anybody allowed to be happy? No, nope. no. <laughs> is it? The show nope. is not a happy one. <laughs> no. It's not called winning. Mark leaves and Roger is alone. Finally, he can start to work on his song, One Song Glory. He sings of his struggles with his diagnosis. He used to be part of a band, but he became addicted to heroin and got AIDS, thus ruining that opportunity. His AIDS is a death sentence. He knows that. He also sings about how he wants to be more than that. He wants to be remembered for more than his AIDS or his poverty. He wants his life to have meaning, to have glory. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. Roger opens it up and a young woman comes in. Uh, He doesn't really know who she is and he's like, uh, who you? (laughs) So he points out that she's shivering and she's just like, oh, you know, I'm cold. It's fine. But in reality, it's her going through heroin withdrawal. She is holding a candle and she like holds it out to him and asks him to light it. And so he 
pulls out a match and he does, while kind of staring at her in awe and says that she reminds him of his ex, April. She kind of secretly blows out the candle and then brings it to him again, like, will you light this? And there's this whole flirty bit with, like, dripping wax. Uh, slight warning. <laughs> hmm. The show gets a little, well, edgy. She goes to leave and then blows her candle out again and turns back and also realizes that she has dropped her stash. And so she starts crawling around on the floor looking for it because, you know, drugs. Cue more flirting because she's crawling around on the floor and he's staring at her ass. You know, as one does. Yeah. She reveals that she's an exotic dancer at the Cat Scratch Club and he recognizes her from there. (laughs) And so the Will You Light My Candle lyrics become less and less about the candle and more about, you know, sex and drugs. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Roger rebuffs her, saying that she looks too young, although she insists that she's 19. And he basically is just like, dude, stop doing heroin. It's terrible for you. And he, so now he recognizes that she's going through withdrawal. He finds her stash on the floor and hides it in his pocket. But she notices, and she kind of shimmies up to him and flirts with him and introduces herself as Mimi, and then slips the drugs out of his pocket and walks out. (laughs) (laughs) As one does. Sassy little bit. And so this is the song Light My Candle. Of course. Uh, The scene changes to the phone again, where we see Joanne's parents are leaving her a voicemail. This is voicemail number two. Uh, We see that they are successful. They're wealthy. Uh, Her mom seems to be running for some sort of federal office, which is why she's, you know, as successful as she is. Uh, We see that they, you know, they support Joanne, but as a lawyer, not as a frilly stage manager. Basically, they tell her to wise up and not be a silly lesbian anymore. (laughs) Because that's how that works. Just, just stop being a kooky lesbian. You silly goose lesbian. <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> no Doc Martens this time. Okay. Uh, all right. Back in the apartment with Mark and Roger, Collins and Angel arrive. Angel is now in full drag, and they come bearing groceries and firewood. Collins announces that he was fired from his job at MIT, so he's back to work at New York University. He then introduces Angel, who sings the rest of the song. She tells a story about how she was asked by a rich lady to make a neighbor's dog shut up. She did, although through accidentally getting it to jump out of the window and die. That'll do it. So then she got paid a bunch of money. She spends a lot of this song drumming on an upturned pickle bucket, so we see her clear talent. She also sings about her philosophy, today for you, tomorrow for me. She's all about love and gets joy from helping others, whereas other characters in the show, like Mimi, have a no day but today. Live life selfishly into the fullest kind of philosophy. And this is today for you. Benny shows up. Mark and Roger complain about how Benny has changed. Benny complains about the protest happening soon. He is planning on opening a cyber arts studio next door where the protest will be. He says he will continue to forgo the guy's rent if they convince Maureen to cancel her protest. He says he will help them pursue their dreams with the studio. This doesn't convince them, and they refuse. And the song is, You'll See, Boys. So at this point, the group separates. Mark goes out with Maureen's equipment, and there he meets Joanne. They kind of reflect on how weird it is to be working together. Uh, and mm. so they sing and dance together to the song Tango Maureen, as they reflect on Maureen herself. So about how she's honestly a bit mani- manipulative and a cheater. Uh, oh. But also she's one of those people who's just, like, really electric and you can't stay away from. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so they actually like tango on stage and they take turns being the like dominant dancer, which is pretty nice. cool. Uh, in the end, the equipment is fixed. Uh, Mark feels better now that he's been able to like 
vent about his toxic relationship with Maureen because he's out of it. But Joanne <laughs> feels worse because she's now realizing how toxic her relationship is with Maureen. Oops. Whoops. Meanwhile, Collins and Angel have gone to the life support meeting in the song Life Support. The song starts with all the group members introducing themselves. Uh, like I talked about earlier, uh, the actors like change the names each show. And Mark joins as well, even though he doesn't have HIV or AIDS. He actually wants to record it for his documentary. And so they continue their affirmations in this song. Roger, who is still over in his apartment, kind of joins them in singing. And so they sing about the main philosophy of the show, which is that no day but today. We switch over to Mimi, who is getting ready to go out. She is originally wearing a robe, but she grips it off, revealing her tight clothes on underneath. She dances seductively along a metal railing as she sings about wanting to go out and party and live life to the fullest. She ends the song with Roger, flirting with him and trying to get him to come out with her. She kisses him, but he pushes her away. And the song is out tonight. Gone! You thought! <laughs> I know, yeah, this is one of the songs I knew before I actually listened to the show. Roger is upset that Mimi has burst in on him. He tries to get her to go away. He doesn't want to be attracted to her, and yet he is somehow. And the song is Another Day. And this one's actually one of my favorite songs, because I just kind of love the way that he, like, croons to her. Uh, the, mm-hmm. li- the line, take your brown eyes, your pretty smile, your silhouette gets me every time because he's just like he's trying so hard not to like this girl because he feels like he doesn't deserve it but he also just like really likes her and it just it's yeah. a moment that gets me get your beautiful face <laughs> out of my face right now he doesn't believe he deserves to love her and is afraid to tell her about the hiv but he tries not to get too hopeful that they could be together that he wouldn't be alone anymore he sings come back another day meaning they could be together in another life, but not this one, because he's too damaged. But she sings No Day But Today, in that they should find enjoyment while they can. The two different ideologies combat. Back to the life support group, they sing the same thing over and over again, asking if they will lose their dignity, will someone care, if they were to die. And the song is Will I. Uh, So Roger leaves the apartment and heads out to meet up with the others. And so we see Mark, Collins, and Angel out on the street. A few police walk up and harass a lady who's just kind of minding her own business. Mark gets in his face, tries, you know, gets him to leave, but the lady's unappreciative. Like, I didn't need you to save me, so get out of my way. So this is on the street. Angel tries to cheer the other two up, and Collins ends up talking about how nice it would be to go out to just go out to sunny Santa Fe, New Mexico, and open a restaurant. You know, just go do it. Why not? So he talks about him and Angel doing it together and, like, putting their art together to make food rather than just like struggling here in New York City. Mark leaves for the protest and Angel and Collins stay and sing I'll Cover You, which is adorable, and they confess their love for each other. Aww. And so they basically, like, this is one of those couples that you just like, you just have to support because they just, they sing of this love that's balanced and strong. You know, they're both taking care of the other person. They're providing literal and metaphorical shelter and warmth. Like, they're just They're offering to pay each other in kisses, which is adorable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But they also talk about rent. (gasps) There's that word again. (gasps) Ah! Ah! (laughs) And about how you can't can't buy love, but you can rent it. And so, yes, their relationship's happening a little fast. They just met. But, you know, they both know the realities of the world, and they both, you know, they realize they're both sick, and they're just declaring that they will enjoy their limited time together through sickness and in health. Till death do them part. Aw. Aw. We switch over to Joanne, who is on two phones, her cell phone and a payphone. 
On one, she's talking to a coworker. On the other, it's Maureen. Then her parents call on her cell. We see her stress really build up here as she juggles all of these different parts of her life and tries to assure everyone in the song, we're okay. Another one of those songs where everything is happening at once. Again, an old skate. It's easier to catch it all watching than listening. The song is Christmas Bells. A group of homeless people sing Christmas tunes, but sad versions. We see a bunch of people out selling things. An angel and Collins see his coat, sans one leave, being sold by a merchant. She refuses to give it back, so Angel buys him a different coat. Roger tells Mark about Mimi flirting with him, and Mark just laughs like, dude, why didn't you just go for it? And they keep mentioning that it is starting to snow and calling it a white Christmas, and then a bunch of cops saying that they are also dreaming of a white Christmas. But they mean white in a different way. Mm -hmm. Racist. Yep. A bunch of junkies surround a dealer, including Mimi. Roger sees her and invites her to join them for dinner. The dealer gets angry that he is trying to steal his client, and he and Roger argue. Betty takes center stage on the phone with Allison and complaining about the protest again. Mark meets Mimi, and they talk about Maureen. We hear the sound of a motorcycle, and finally, Maureen comes on stage. Everybody's here. Dun, da, da. She makes her dramatic entrance, and so it's time for the protest and her performance, which is the song Over the Moon, which is one of the <laughs> weirdest Broadway songs you will ever, ever. listen to. Ever. So, in this song, she tells a story about a dream that she had, right? About this cow who is forbidden to produce milk and only Diet Coke is allowed. Sure. And so, this is like a reference to Benny and the commercialization he brings, right? Uh, basically, she's making references to Hey Diddle Diddle, the nursery rhyme. And so, this, this cow, Elsie, I think. So, this cow, Elsie, talks about how Everything real has been closed down and replaced by things that are fake and virtual. Cow tells Maureen to just take a leap of faith and jump over the moon. There's this bulldog named Benny who enters and he's all like, grumble, grumble, cyberland, good, yeah. At the end of the story, uh, Maureen drinks from Elsie's swollen udders uh, and then climbs onto her and rides her as they take a leap over the moon. Uh, And then she makes everyone moo. Like a cow. Hmm. And, like, it's it's a little crazy. During live shows, they actually, like, try to get the audience to move along. It's, yeah. It's real weird. Did you take acid before yep. this? Or? Maybe. Probably. Someone did. <laughs> there, apparently there's a lot of heroin going around, so. There's a lot of drugs. <laughs> and it shows with this. Yeah. So after we get through that insanity, the big group goes to the live cafe after the show. The waiter actually recognizes Mark and is like, uh, you didn't pay last time, so you need to leave. And he's like, nah, I'm staying. <laughs> and so this, like, big group takes up this table. And they see Benny, who's actually already seated at a table, at another table with his father-in-law. And so they stay just to spite him. <laughs> um, and Benny sort of, like, slyly, sarcastically congratulates Maureen on her show. And when someone asks about his wife, he's like, oh, she's at home mourning their dog, which just happens to be the one that Angel <laughs> killed. Oops. Whoops. <laughs> Oops. And then Benny sees Mimi and goes up to talk to her. So we clearly see that they have a bit of history. Yep. And so Benny's just like being real snide about everything. And he's like, Bohemia is dead. So you guys just need to stop. And so the group starts up a mock funeral. Uh, Mark starts with the dearly beloved we've gathered here today. Uh, and then uh, they start singing. So this is the song La Vie Bohème A. 
And so at one point, Maureen literally moons the crowd. So that's cool. Booty. <laughs> um, booty. So they all think about this, like, fun arts stuff, right? And they're, like, toasting, so, like, to going against the grain, to striving for attention, to fruits, aka gays, to yoga and yogurt, to masturbation, to turpentine, to empathy, to so much, like, so many things. It just goes on and on. They reference a bunch of writers and filmmakers and other artists. Meanwhile, Maureen and Joanne kiss, and Collins and Angel kiss, and they kind of flaunt their gayness to this group of business men at the next table. Yes. And they're all like, oh, no. That's not, not allowed. The gays. Not the gays. <laughs> They're infecting my eyes. <laughs> and then meanwhile, Mimi and Benny are kind of talking about this affair that they had three months ago. Whoops. <gasps> and then uh, Mimi confronts Roger about the like hot and cold attitude that he's got with her. Beep of a timer goes off and Mimi goes off to take her AZT. And then Roger realizes that she also has HIV and admits his own and starts to kind of see her in a new way. Hmm. A bit of cleverness here that I didn't realize at first, but I saw when I was looking at stuff online. So at one point, the waiter is like reading off the order that this group of people have asked for, right? And so he says, 13 orders of fries. And they're all like, yeah. And so we can assume that there's 13 people at this table. And they're actually all sitting on one side. You could say that this is so that the audience can see everyone. Yes. But it's also very reflective of The Last Supper, if you're familiar with the painting. Bit of weirdness there. And also, 13 people sitting at a table holds significance. So it is superstition that when 13 dine together, the first to stand will die. Now we have to count when we go after dinner. (laughs) So with this, like, you know, the song itself started off like funeral, religious. And so this is a bit of like weird foreshadowing. I think it's interesting. Yeah, weird. Mm -hmm. We do have a little break in the chaos. A sidebar, as Roger and Mimi are finally honest with each other, and the song is I Should Tell You, they come to a few realizations together. They are no longer keeping secrets, which is good, and because they both have it, they aren't at risk of sharing it with the other. They can be together without barriers. At the same time, that means they both have a death sentence attached to them, and that is heavy baggage. Joanne comes back in, breaks up with Maureen, and then announces that Benny had called the cops and locked up their building. But there is a big ride outside, and everyone is sitting around mooing. (laughs) The group celebrates and continues their song, toasting to more things like chiropractors, adventures, mathematics, cross-dressers, to people living with, not dying from, disease, and everything else. Finally, as the song ends, Mimi and Roger kiss. The song is La Vie Bohem. And we smooch our way into intermission. Do we now? There's a lot happening in the front end. A lot. Yep. And like I said, remember, this all happens in one day, too. So this is an entire act that's in, like, a few-hour time span. Yeah. It's a big day. A lot of people falling in love in one Ho- day. Hopefully they had their Wheaties. <laughs> but there's also a lot of sadness. Yay, sad boy hours. It seems like the only people that are happy are, uh... Oh my god, I'm Angel. blanking on the name. Angel. And Collins. Collins. Collins, yeah. Yeah. Everybody else is just, like, miserable. <laughs> There's yep. a lot going on. Yeah. This, is, this musical is a lot of misery, uh, with Yay. tiny shining lights that are dimmed, and then, yeah, it's, yep. Yeah. Yep. But I still like it. I don't know. I, I think it just feels like a lot happened in the first act, just because it's like Hamilton, where everything is sung. Yeah. So you get so many details. Yeah. Yeah, to me it definitely feels like there's a lot happening. 
Especially when you put it on the time constraint of just a singular day. Like, listening to it, it definitely feels like months. And so that's kind of weird. It's also a lot of characters to follow. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. I give it a weird out of ten on the first <laughs> half. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Alright. <laughs> Good talk. <laughs> Good talk, everybody. <laughs> hey, even though it's sad, keep in mind this is a rock musical, and so it's not just like sad ballads the whole time. Like, they're rocking out, and they're like dancing all over the stage, and they're just like, they might be sad, but they're having fun with it. <laughs> so, yeah. even though the material is kind of down, the songs are fun to listen to. Which is good. Just gotta say that. Take note, Bono. Like, kind of older alternative rock, where it's just got really catchy beats, but then yes. <laughs> the lyrics are actually just Super sad. That's yep. my favorite kind of music, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Kylie, do you have a theater fact for us? I do. So race, gender, class, queerness, they all play big parts in this musical. So let's talk racism in theater. Let's talk racism, kids. Yay! Important. Yay. This information was gathered by BIPOC Directors Collective on Instagram. Only two black playwrights have won a Tony. Keep in mind the Tony Awards are over 70 years old. Oh. In all that time, only nine black people have won in the five main creative categories. Oh. Yeah. The last black playwright to win was 33 years ago. 95% of Broadway plays and musicals are written by white playwrights. There are currently only two black lead producers on Broadway. 80% of roles on Broadway were filled with white actors. Only 2% went to Latino actors and 1.2% to Asian Americans. Wow. Yep. That's... I mean, I'm not really surprised by the numbers because, I mean, thinking about every show ever... It's very white. It's very white. Unless, like, the show specifically calls for... People of color. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have <laughs> Hamilton, it's which like, is yeah, kind just of throw like them in there. bucking the trend, where it's just like, ah, the Founding Fathers, let's put in some people of color. Yes. Then that's why that musical what? is such a like revolution, is because it gave people of color that space that they don't currently have. Yeah, there wasn't like a restriction on who could audition for it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just like, come on, man. <laughs> let's go. It was so good. So good. So Hopefully we start to see more of that diversity in theater, because... I would like to think so. Because reading this fact... It's like this generation grows up and gets into theater more and starts taking over that space. I would like to think that that's going to be more common. Well, we're also, like, like, even with the music in it, you're starting to see more infusion of, like, current music. True. Which kind of helps with that, too. Like, with with the rapping and and stuff in there, it's like, Mm -hmm. I didn't even think of combining theater with that kind of form of art, it works so well. So yes, hopefully seeing more of that in the future. Top notch. Super good. <laughs> yeah, I I really look forward to the, the future of theater. Because already we're seeing like a, a huge trend shift and I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm for it. Yes. Okay, anyone else have any other thoughts? No, let's hop into Act 2. What's my line? Beat you to it. <laughs> You're fired. Oh, no. Well, now that I'm fired, you gotta do it. Oh. 
Let's hop into Act Two. Gas. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well. So the cast stands on a line across the stage, and we get the iconic song, Seasons of Love. If you haven't heard the song, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Right. I mean, (laughs) even non-theater people know the song. Right. And so, actually, in the movie version, the song is at the beginning of the movie, which actually a lot of people have critiqued, because it hits harder when it's kind of in this middle place where we've already had a lot of sadness and and misery and... Sadness. Character stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Recognizing it from the song name. It's the 525,600 minutes song. Ah, okay. Yep, I've heard that one. Okay. Yeah, so there's 525,600 minutes in a year. And so how do you make the most of each of those moments? So it's tears and laughter and love. That's how. So great song. So then we start with the group outside of their locked building. It's not clear what they've been doing for the last week, but they mentioned that it's now New Year's Eve. So we finally have a bit of a time jump. Oh. Time skip. <laughs> time warp. So jump to the left. <laughs> Happy New Year. Mimi announces her resolution. So she's giving up drugs. She's going back to school and she's going to be happy with Roger. Awesome. You go, Mimi. Nice. Yeah. Maureen shows up, but she's honestly not really helpful. So she calls Joanne, her ex, and tries to get her back. Uh, she says that she will be her slave and she'll atone for her mistakes. And Joanne walks up and she's like, okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So her and Mark actually are all friendly and they're trying to figure out how to get inside. And so they have a rope and they like are trying to hoist themselves up on the fire escape to get in. So they go off (laughs) and do that. Meanwhile, Collins and Angel show up and Angel has a blowtorch, which she uses to get through the lock. Of course. Uh, And so then (laughs) she's like, yeah, you know, I've got alcohol and this blowtorch. Let's go. (laughs) Good combo. That's such a drag queen thing to say. <laughs> She's. I great. wouldn't be surprised if they all had like a blowtorch in their like trunk or something. Yep. <laughs> They're like it's like Mary Poppins bag. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. She has whatever you it's need. Like, I got you, honey. Let me just. <laughs> you need a machete? Wait. I got one of those too. Oh, honey, I got something for that. <laughs> just pulls it out of her dress. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a Tommy gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So, the next part of Matt's musical, Drag Queens with Tommy Guns. Yeah. Yo. Yes. We need to compile all of these things, and you're going to make a musical someday. All right. One day. (laughs) And we will review it on our podcast. (laughs) Start working on it, bud. So, by the time everyone gets back inside, the power comes back on. The phone starts playing voicemails. It's Mark's mom in voicemail number three. His mom wishes him Happy New Year. The next voicemail is from Alexi Darling from Buzzline. She's trying to get Mark to sell her footage and come work for her. This excites Maureen. They could be famous. Network TV! Ah. She wants to plan another protest with Joanne directing, Mark filming, and her performing. The song is Happy New Year B. The group goes back to celebrating and Benny enters. He gives them the key to the building, but tries to make sure Mark is filming him more as a good press rather than an actual show of good faith. The way he puts it, Mimi came to him, seduced him, and convinced him to let them back into the building. She insists that she went to talk to him, not seduce him. This angers Roger. I mean, obviously. Angel talks them all up into getting along again. Mimi gets left alone for a few and ends up getting more drugs from her dealer. Dang it, Mimi. She just made the resolution. Dang it, Mimi. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. How many of them? I don't make them. You're not heroin addicts. (laughs) Right. That's true. 
But Which have we kept them? No. <laughs> if you don't make them, you can't break them. <laughs> True. That's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> Ignoring the problem. Yay. <laughs> in a bit that isn't in the soundtrack, Mark narrates once again setting the scene. It's been two months. It's now Valentine's Day. Mimi and Roger have been spending their time together. Collins and Angel are together, but off somewhere. And Maureen, Joanne, and Mark are working on the next protest. Maureen and Joanne are arguing, uh, as they do a lot. Maureen argues that Joanne has been holding her back from doing things she wants to do, like piercing her nipples and dancing at lesbian clubs. Normal things. Mm -hmm. Joanne argues that she said no to stuff like that because she doesn't want to be cheated on again, which is totally fair. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are important in relationships. <laughs> and so they start singing the song Take Me or Leave Me, which is another pretty iconic song, I think. Maureen sings that it's not her fault that people are always flirting with her. She's just so awesome. But it's, like, even more awesome that she chose Joanne, not someone else. So, like, just just deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> But she also can't take being held down anymore, so she gives Joanne a choice. Either accept me for who I am or leave me for good. Joanne takes all of that and throws it right back, saying that Maureen needs to accept her for who she is, or else. And so the pair decides to split. Bye! So we get a short bit of Seasons of Love again, so Seasons of Love B. So you can see this show doesn't really have, like, reprises. It has, like, version A and version B of songs. And so this time, with this bit of song, they're reflecting on... Or they're kind of asking about, like, one's last year on Earth. So how do you characterize those moments? Uh, and on stage, you see the main cast just kind of sitting spread out. Collins helps Angel, who's clothed entirely in white, kind of lay out on a table. She seems really weak and sickly. Uh, the rest of the cast just kind of watches, really sad. And then everyone disperses, leaving Angel alone. Roger and Mimi meet up on stage, but are at odds. He asks about Benny, assuming she's cheating on him. He storms off saying, Happy Spring! telling us more time has passed. She starts to sing about life without him in the song Without You. The truth is, the world goes on. The flowers bloom, the kids play, the earth turns. But she, on the other hand, would die without him. In the background, as she sings, Collins takes care of Angel as she gets sicker. Roger eventually comes back in and sings along with her about how lonely they would be without each other. At the end of the song, the two embrace and reconnect. The phone rings. Mark lets it go to voicemail. This is voicemail number four. It is Alexi Darling from Buzzline. She says it is Labor Day weekend and she is still waiting for him to come work for her. Big jump, big time jump here. We've gone from Valentine's Day to spring to September. Yep. So first act was all at once. This one's very spread out. Pew, pew, pew. Everywhere. <laughs> so then everything goes black and then we hear moaning. <sighs> this is the sex song, folks. <laughs> it exists if you didn't know uh, it's called contact and it's rated r here and so they're singing it's just like stop listening mom <laughs> cover your ears <laughs> <laughs> but this song is very like ah, i don't know music words yeah words it's very staccato it's like a beat and a beat and a beat so they're singing hot wet don't stop sweat sweet and all these words just like over and over again like deep Harder. Uh, faster. Yep. Please stop listening, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> On stage, there's a lot of grinding and stuff. Ah. Yep. It's kind of a lot. Mm. And so Angel emerges from behind a group that's kind of dancing under a white sheet. It's very, like, very cool to watch on stage, honestly. And so he's singing Take Me, uh, which can be interpreted as sex, but it's also kind of him, 
her begging for death. So ah. stuff starts to go bad. So instead of the, the sexy words, now they're like, ow, ow, I think I missed. Don't be pissed. It's <laughs> over. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yikers. So the sex went bad. Joanne and Maureen, who apparently were hooking up still, are now over again. Same with Roger and Mimi. They are now over. Uh, and then Collins ends the song with the last line, it's over, representing Angel's death. Oh. Oh. Angel, best character. So yeah. we go from sex to death in one song. <laughs> That's the show, folks. Yep. That's it. <laughs> That's the show. The group mourns, of course. Uh, this isn't in the soundtrack, but they all kind of get together and tell funny stories about their experiences with Angel. Colin sings a reprise of I'll Cover You at the funeral. Uh, it's the same lyrics. This time it's Colin singing by himself, singing to Angel instead of the other way around. And then it's a much sadder arrangement. And again, the cast kind of lines the stage to sing uh, as that song merges into Seasons of Love and singing about the 525,600 minutes. We resume with Mark, who is on the phone. He's reaching out to Alexi and is going to start working at Buzzline. Afterwards, he reflects on the events since Christmas Eve. Why did the universe do these things to these people? And that fine line between fate and choice. And why was Mark left alone to just witness it all and not actually be a part of it? Also, what happens when all his friends die of AIDS and he is left alone? The song is Halloween, the song title that we're clearly farther into the year now. Mimi confronts Roger, who has sold his guitar to buy a car and leave New York for Santa Fe. Must have been a nice guitar. <laughs> yeah, nice one. Or just a really or crappy a bad car. car. <laughs> <laughs> it's got wheels. <laughs> he actually just bought a bike. <laughs> He's going, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's just a guy on the back that's got the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, so, um, Roger chides Mimi for being with Benny now, and Benny gets angry that Mimi is talking to Roger. So, so, okay. Where's the wife? So, I mean, yeah. So, is Benny still married? Yep. Oh. Oh. I think so. Benny, you trash. I mean, everybody's kind of trash. Kinda trash. But Except Benny specifically. She was, she was an angel. <laughs> Benny gets angry that Mimi is talking to Roger. Marine tries to defend Mimi, but Joanne fights back at her. Mimi and Joanne sing together about their ex's denial that they could have had good relationships with them. They say they wish they had what Angel had, a true love and a better outlook on life. But Roger argues that love isn't a three-way street. He doesn't want to share Mimi with either Benny or her addiction. Fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Collins shuts them all down. They shouldn't be arguing. They should be mourning. Marine and Joanne reconnect and leave. Mimi and Benny leave together. Mark tries to convince Roger not to leave, and the two just end up calling each other out on their uh, BS. Yeah. Mimi Mimi comes back and says her goodbyes to Roger, both because he's leaving and she's dying. And Roger leaves. Benny offers to pay for Mimi to go to rehab, and the song is Goodbye Love. Benny offers to pay for Angel's funeral service, leading him, Collins, and Mark to become friends again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so now that we've got downer and downer and downer down, 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 down. with this musical. So Mark is working at Buzzline, of course, and he hates it. 
He reflects on the events of the last year and what it's like to live in America. So the song is What You Own. Basically, in the end, all it comes down to is money, right? So a person is reflected by what they do or don't own, and that's just how the consumerist culture of America is. Wow. Spot on. (laughs) Yeah. Considering this was written in, what, 1980s, and it's still accurate today. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not worried about consumerism. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So Roger joins in singing, even though he's, like, you know, off in Santa Fe. So they're worried about having to fake it till they make it. And then each of them have this breakthrough. So Mark figures out his film, quits his job, and Roger finally hears this song. He gets his muse back. But they realize they can't do it alone. They need the friendships that they made along the way to find that connection and discover their true potential. And I do kind of love this song because, like I said, even though it's about America's consumerist culture, it's also kind of about how you can still, like, even through all that, you can still follow your dreams and find meaning in life. So the phone rings. Again, we get voicemail number five, and most of the characters' parents are here. So we have Roger's mom, Mimi's mom, Mark's mom, and Joanne's dad. And so they're all confused and singing about how they're worried about their children. Fair. (laughs) Children are up to some shit. (laughs) That is true. The group of homeless people is back on stage, singing their sad Christmassy lyrics like earlier. This is finale A. Mark narrates... It's December 24th again, now 10 p.m. Eastern Time. He is going through his footage from the past year. Roger is back, and they are going to watch the footage, and then the power goes out. Colin shows up with money. He tells them that he rewired an ATM to spit out money for anyone with the code ANGEL. The three guys get interrupted by Maureen screaming for help. It's Mimi, and she's very sick. They get her up to the apartment. Mimi starts quoting some of her old lines like, Will you light my candle? The two get left alone. Roger apologizes for leaving, Mimi confesses her love, and then goes quiet. Roger begs her her to hold on and listen to the song he finally finished with her as his muse. He performs his song to her about the beauty of her eyes, about how she was the song all along. And he confesses his love to her, they kiss, and she dies. And the song is Your Eyes. Yup. You know, that was real close to necrophilia. Real close. (laughs) All of a sudden, she gasps alive. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> she says she jumped over the moon, reference to Maureen's protest, and she explains how she was in a tunnel and then Angel was there and told her to go back. This is finale B. Parts of other songs start to overlap as they revel in being together again. The lights come up and all the cast gathers on stage. Angel comes back on stage for the very last line as they all say, No day but today. Oh, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Ah, <laughs> oh, so powerful. And so at the very end of the onstage film version, at least, uh, members from a bunch of the past productions, like the original Broadway cast, actually come out after Curtain Call, and they all kind of do a big Curtain Call together. Because if you remember, this film version was the last ever show on the original Broadway tour, so it was kind of a big deal. And then both ca- all the cast members gather together for one last song, Seasons of Love. Nice. Yep. That's the yep. show. That's the show. Sad. <laughs> yeah. So what's everyone's thoughts on this? Yo, AIDS kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lightly putting it. <laughs> don't do drugs, folks. Or do drugs, yeah. Take care of yourselves. don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah. Or, okay. Or have AIDS. I don't know. I don't know where we're going with that thought. Okay. I don't know either. 
Just don't do drugs. Get don't help. get sick. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Get help. Yeah, you should take care of yourself. Uh, and with today's technology, HIV is no longer a death sentence. And we're still trying to find a cure for AIDS, but we are so much more further. And uh, and that's all thanks to a lot of people that took a stance on it around that time frame. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's like you get diagnosed with it and you're just like, well, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, because there was such a stigma against it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then that's part of why this show was called out for that was because it, you know, it sh- really shows that, you know, they're afraid to. All the members are afraid to talk about it until they realize that, like, oh, someone else has it too. Like, they're in a safe space. Like, you know, they recognize that they've got that death sentence. So what are they going to do with their lives? Like, it's just so real. Like, yeah, yes, there's a lot of drama. A lot of but stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, personally, I I really enjoy the story of this show. Again, it, it talks about a lot of tough subjects in the light of a musical and how they tackled those problems and everything like that. However, I don't particularly like the music in this show. It was very hard for me to get through. Just because I, I don't know, it's, I just don't really like the songs per se. But I like the message that it's, you know, it's saying. Yep, you don't have to be a big fan of everything you listen to. Yeah. Like, I can appreciate it for its art, Mm -hmm. but it's not one of the ones I would listen to again on purpose kind of thing. Unless you guys want to watch it. I'll watch it with you. I think I'd want to watch it. I haven't seen it, so... Yeah, I'd want to watch it. Maybe we'll do a watch. I have it. I don't remember... I don't remember which version I have, but I know I have one of them. Either the filmed live or the uh, movie. Although, you can find the filmed live version on YouTube. Oh. So, if you're going to watch one, I would... I would say that one over the movie, just because it's actual, like, stage production. But, you know, they both have their merits. But, yes, if you guys want to have a movie night, I would totally do it. Cool. But, no, I mean, I kind of get that. Like, this isn't really one, especially as I've, you know, I've, I've grown over the years and I've listened to other musicals and I've, you know, refined my taste, things like that. And so, like, I like this one because of the nostalgia, because I've liked it for so long. But it's not necessarily one that I sit and listen to all the way through. Like, there's a lot of shows, yeah. like Hamilton, where I'll just, like, listen to the whole soundtrack. Yep. <laughs> all three hours of it. Yeah. Yep. Whereas this is a show where I will listen to, like, random songs at random times. Yeah, like, a couple of songs are really good. Like, I think I think one thing that bothers me about the show is the voicemails. I get that they're important yeah. to the information, but, like, when I'm listening to my iPod and, like, it's on shuffle and all of a sudden there's, like, a beep and then a voicemail, I'm like, what? Eh. What? <laughs> like, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't fit. Throws off the pacing. It really does. And so there's just a few parts of this where it, it, it kind of, yeah, like you said, it gets thrown off. So that's why it's not really one I listen to straight through. But there are a handful of songs that I do really like, and I find myself just, like, singing randomly. So I do still have a love yeah. for this one. But with qualifications. Um, yeah. And, like, Seasons of Love, I think almost everyone knows whether you like theater or not. Mm-hmm. That's just one of those ones that it just shows up on the radio sometimes. Does it? And then... Yeah. Every now and then, yeah. Hmm. Um, Take Me For What I Am. I like that. I love that song. I mm-hmm. love the title of it. Take but... Me or Leave Me. Take yep. Me or Leave Me. That one gets stuck on my head just randomly. Yes. So there are a couple of of songs in there that are definitely really good, but yeah, listening to the whole thing is definitely uh, interesting. 
What do you think, uh, Matt? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not being the most familiar with it, the the story is just just sad. Yeah, like, there's a lot going on. Like the happiness in the end is somebody didn't die. They still have all the other like terrible things going on in their lives. So it's not, it's like, not really, it's like, yeah, you get to stay in... Sadness. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, she's alive for now, but she's still she's got... She's not cured. She's still got yeah. HIV, he still has HIV, Colin's still, like, they're all still sick, they're all still living in poverty, they're all still... Sad. Essentially squatting in this building, like, they... It's like, they, yeah, they, like, confess their love to each other, but, like, they've kind of proven that none of these people are really the best in any relationship. Yeah. True. So, it's like, okay, give it, like, a month, they'll probably be fight- fighting, and, <laughs> like, if we got some little, yeah. like, side view afterwards. Here's the sequel. They're all still sad. <laughs> Life Basically, sucks. They've broken up five other times. At least. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and, like, as much as I, you know, want to love Maureen and Joanne because they're, like, this awesome queer couple, right, that they're terrible to each other. They are terrible. Yeah. And, like, that's such a toxic relationship, and they keep, like, it's on and off and on and off, and, like, I don't think they ever really, like, learn anything from it. Nope. Nope. They just keep dealing with each other. I don't know. Like, and maybe that's how relationships work. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, that grates me a little bit. I wish they could be better to each other. Yeah. But. And I feel like Colin just kind of disappears. Yeah. Like he's he there. Does. He's there just to be with Angela and then he's just like. Goodbye. Not yeah. there anymore. Yeah, he's there to introduce. And. and <laughs> introduce and the big just, sad. And then just uh, keep keep showing up just to bring. He's kind the of sad. like, hey guys. Candy. Still sad. The, the one person you invite. To the party, because that you know they'll bring the actual fun person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's definitely a flawed production, but it's definitely, you know, stood the test of time. Yeah. And it's, I think some of the other shows we've done have been, like, revised a million times and gotten better, better over the years, but, like, this one is sturdy. <laughs> yeah. Has proven that it can't be revised over yeah. and over again. And people like it. So, I don't know. It's an interesting one. I'd love to hear other people's perspectives, so please chat with me about this show. Yeah, definitely uh, hit us up. I know it's a big f- uh, favorite among the musical theater crowd, so uh, if you want to reach out and talk to us, you can always talk to us at uh, savemeanisleseat at gmail.com or you can tweet us, more specifically Amber, at seat on Twitter. So I think that will wrap up this episode of Save Me an Isle Seat. This was Rent. We hope you liked it. As always, thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate your support. We're actually creeping up pretty quickly on 400 downloads. Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty nice. exciting. But we love doing this. We love to just talk with each other and, and introduce you guys to new shows. If you'd like to support us any further, you can find us at www ko-fi.com slash ragtag network. You can buy us a coffee. Just say hello. Or you can check us out on our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com Alright guys, I think that will end this up for us. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.